Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me this week are two guys who would never get into a fistfight on a basketball court. It's LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari. Graham, how you doing on this Friday morning? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, I haven't had to snowblow yet, but I'm, I'm excited for it. The new snowblower r- raring to go, so... Yeah, I had to. I had to leave. I had to go out and get breakfast earlier this morning. Well, I didn't have to. I chose to, and uh, it, it took a took a couple minutes to to wipe, wipe my car off of all all the snow. Way more snow than I realized that we were going to get. Yep. No, I don't. I don't fear anymore because I spent so much money on that thing. I'm, I'm excited to go. <laughs> well, well, at least you're doing it, and, and not your wife, Elizabeth. <laughs> that was once. I was out of town. Duty calls. Chris, how are you? Uh well, that intro unfortunately brought me down a notch to I, I i did not get in a it was not a fist fight but it's pretty widely known that uh a former uh spartan speak podcast member and i once got into a physical fluid altercation during a pickup basketball game uh but we won't mention joe rexrode's name and that he went all robbie alomar on me he will of course mention that that i tried to take out his knee with a hard foul but um hey no easy layups that's what i say <laughs> i love that you the reference you went with the robbie alomar when 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 did that robbie Ma- robbie alomar incident happen in the 90 early 90s i mean it's been a minute. yeah i think it was mid mid 90s yeah. um and probably similar maybe it was a little bit after um i i believe this incident happened uh and uh yeah, it was it was not not either of our finest moments. Let's put it that way. But you know, you know what they say: all is fair in love and war on the basketball courts at Snyder Phillips. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Is that there? It's pick up basketball, man. There, there's no rules. It's anarchy. You know, you do what you got to do to to stop the ones and twos from happening. Oh, that's exactly right, Graham. I know that you are a still a, a veteran of the of the pickup basketball game. Would you agree that there are? There are certain uh, things stay on the court, even between colleagues or future colleagues. And you, you reach a certain age. You reach a certain age, Phil, and the, the mantra becomes: everybody's got to go to work today. Like the, the hard fouls stop. You know? like, <laughs> like, even if it's game, there was a point in my life where game point was like you had to earn it. Now, if you foul somebody on game point, and you're you know if you're in your late thirties or forties or beyond, people are like, dude, really? We got to go to work today. So, <laughs> uh, fa- father, father, time remains undefeated, right? Absolutely. But so does the old man pickup game, so that's a whole other story. Yeah, well, speaking of teams that are definitely not undefeated, uh, let's talk a little Michigan yeah. State men's what a segue, basketball. Bill. Thank you. You are you're very welcome. Occasionally, solid. You're, getting, you're, you're good at this, man. You should host a podcast. Once every 50 episodes, I can pull something off like that. 
All right. Well, since we uh, since we last convened, the Spartans have lost a couple of games. Uh, they lost to Illinois, seventy nine seventy four on Saturday, and then on uh, Tuesday, a disastrous trip to <laughs> Iowa City, a eighty six to sixty thumping. Where uh, the, when I was watching the game, I saw Iowa airball two three pointers, and I think they made every other attempt in that game. Uh, in last week's podcast, we talked about the Iowa game possibly, you know. You know, maybe not being a blowout, but I don't think we were surprised that Michigan State would lose that game. But in the way, the nature and the way they did definitely surprises surprises me. Chris, uh, I guess, uh, how, how stunning was it to, to watch Michigan State just like not even be competitive with Iowa on Tuesday? Well, I think they were uh, coming out of halftime, and I think they're, you know, the fact early on that it wasn't a bigger spread than it was, you, you could see that Iowa was was really the team with more energy and, and more intensity with them. Uh, but after halftime, I mean, it felt, you know, in those first, you know, five minutes or so, you know, maybe a little less than that, it felt very similar to the Illinois game in Michigan State was starting to make a comeback. They were starting to find a little bit of rhythm. Um, J, uh, A.J. Hogar gets out in transition and, you know, off a of steal and it looks like he's going to have a another bucket in on the break and finally get MSU's offense moving and he gets blocked from behind by Keegan Murray. Tom Izzo goes onto the court, gets a technical. Um, he, I don't, I don't think he was that far onto the court. In fact, we were sitting there and I'm like, why did he get the technical? It didn't seem like he overreacted, but then I, I was, I realized he had drifted onto the court a little bit. Um, but, that was the turning point because that that was followed with a five point possession by Iowa and that took all the air out of Michigan State and you know that you know that that final fifteen minutes or whatever it was there was absolutely lifeless basketball Graham and I'm I'm not sure we've seen this Michigan State team this year look so defeated like they were at that point. Yeah, no, that, you know, I thought of it very different than the Rutgers game because, you know, everybody gets blitzed on the road here and there. And certainly this Michigan State team is not, does not talent wise and, and season wise above that happening. But when it happens, like your ability to, to counter it is what's really in question. I thought this was, you know, the fact that they, what they don't have is the ability to, they get it to 10, 11, 9, a couple times, things like that. You know, you get the Marcus Bingham travel uh, when he tried to take his guy off, you know, cross him over and drive to the basket that uh, Tom Izzo talked about and after the game. And there were a number of those plays, as, as you referenced, when they get it within reason, where they don't have the discipline, they don't have the dude, they don't have the ability then to the grit defensively to then lock in and really make it four. Because you could sense that crowd's beginning to get a little nervous, as Iowa crowds do. I mean, they have seen the Fran fade. They have seen the, they have seen that over the years, right? And if you get that game to four, that building changes. And and they they don't have that. And that's where, like, I, I don't think it's a big deal that uh, uh, you know if a team gets hot at home in an emotional night, that happens. Like that, those things are hard to stop, hard to counter. Um, but I, I think that's where. You see an MSU team that's missing a little something, and then you see an MSU team that's lacking confidence and ability to get something done. I think 
the, the hardest thing, Chris, is that for for them right now, and, and when they look at themselves, is they are a, a jump shooting team that cannot shoot or isn't shooting well, and that yeah. is a uh, that is a bad thing to be. <laughs> it's just it's not a well, good, yeah. It's not a and I mean, Tom Izzo talked about that quite often in the last few weeks. They've got one guy that's trying to work in the low blocks exclusively, and that's Julius Marble. And he, you know, you, you can't win a game if you're going to the free throw line four times. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the most perplexing thing to me. It's not perplexing. I mean, if you look at the guys, I mean, Gabe Brown uh, doesn't like to go into traffic. You see him in very, very infrequently put the ball on the deck and try and get inside, even though he's got the athletic ability to do it. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the handles and, then he gets kind of a fear factor and settles into those jump shots, just like you said. I mean, he made one move to the basket in that game in traffic. And you see it and you say, well, now he needs to do that more frequently. The next time he takes the ball, he's content pulling up from, you know, 18, 20 feet, you know, almost using it as a fake to set up his jump shot. But, you know, you, that's one thing. And Marcus Bingham, you know, every time he gets, you know, elbowed out of the post and, you know, he, he can't establish or anchor himself on the block. So he gets pushed out by bigger, by, by sometimes smaller guys height wise, uh, but more stout guys uh, just use their low center of gravity to just kind of force them off the block and to the edge. And then he, he's trying to shoot jump shots. And, you know, that play that is a referenced, I mean, I don't know at what point Marcus Bingham thought he was Kevin Durant, but um, he's not, you know. I mean, he's not even where Jaron Jackson was as a freshman with that ball at the top of the key. I mean, we haven't seen Marcus Bingham put the ball on the deck like that, and all of a sudden, in a close game, when they finally had some momentum, that was the time he did it. I mean, it's, you know, the, the it's it's basketball IQ and savvy sometimes that, that's lacking. Yeah, and um, – and, and, and Bingham's defense, though, like, and, and I understand why that can't be his play right in that situation. He is not somebody who is, I mean, like, nobody else is really making a, a lot of plays at that point. He is trying not to take the outside shot. He's trying to go to the rim. Like, I think his intent was good. He's just got to realize that's not how he gets there with the ball in his hands, right, usually, and, and at least from that far out. And that, that you're right, that's the, the awareness and 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 all that sort of stuff. Well, the free, the free. Uh, here, here, uh, you know, you brought up a really good point right there. Cause I think that's kind of some of the problem here with this team. The intent is good. You know, whether it be Bingham, whether it be Brown, um, you know, whoever, Joey Hauser, the intent is good. The execution is lacking. No, I, I I'm with you in the free throw line. The free throw thing's a direct correlation. Like that wasn't bad calls. You know, I mean, it wasn't, Iowa going you know, 18 for 20 or whatever they were at the line and Michigan State yeah. four, two for four. That was that was aggressiveness. And if you look at the games where things have gone, I mean, the, the, uh, during this streak, they've really not been a team that gets there. And that's a problem for them because they're actually a good free throw shooting team. They, yeah. ought to, they ought to get there. But the big, you know, the thing that they're running into down the stretch here, and this happens on teams that are, are uh, a collective. And and yeah, if you're going to be a collective more than a than a, than a star-led team, you you you've got to have you still got to have some guys that, that that can get it done for you. And you know they're running into teams that have a dude. Keegan Murray, you know, 
Kobe really Gilbert. good. Um, you know, Johnny Davis. Uh, the, the number of guys are going to see it again with Purdue this week. I mean, the, the, you know, they're, they're playing teams that really have a uh, a guy they can lean on and a guy that's sort of a, a next-level college basketball player. And M- MSU doesn't have that guy. And, and you know, it, like if, if you asked most fans, okay, you've got you've to go for a game-winning bucket, who are you going to? I think you'd get a lot of different answers. And I don't think you would on well, most – good teams you know like that's that's part of the what's your answer right now with this team i i have mine right now um it would be i would put the ball see that the the, i would put the ball in tyson walker's hands um now and or or get him a shot or what i'd want it going through tyson walker that doesn't mean like malik hall at one point was the guy looked like he was developing into that that we haven't seen that baseline move from him much they're playing him a little differently on that sometimes but like, and and Hogard's a guy I trust will get a shot. But like, he, he's limited on where he can shoot it from. So to me, your your best bet in terms of uh, a guy who can hit shots from a lot of different places and create for himself, and if nothing's there for others, would be would be Tyson Walker. That's exactly it, and I think it's that versatility because you're starting to see him be a little more, you know, that that kind of triple threat, right? I mean, you see him in that, you know, the ability to take guys off the dribble, you know, hit a pull-up if he needs to, get north and south, try and kick out, or, you know, he's he's got some fearlessness to him when he's going in deep. I think there's there's still a little bit of a learning curve of finishing in traffic over some of these bigger guys. Um, but I also think you're starting to see an evolution with that. He's starting to open up his outside game a lot more, um, you know. But I, you know, I think that's still the mindset to do it is still maybe a work in progress to just kind of let it rip. We saw it at the second half of that Illinois game, um, and I think that that was you know one of those performances, kind of like in some ways it kind of reminded me of Cassius Winston's performance out the PK eighty. Um, we haven't seen a singular takeover from a guy uh, for the first time, maybe like that uh, since that game uh, where he was just willing things to happen. So you see the ability there to do that. Um, How much of that needs to be a change in structure of what they're doing offensively and other guys deferring to him. um, You know, I think some of that comes into play and of course, five games less isn't exactly an optimal time to completely shift gears sometimes. But, um, but I, I think I'd be, that would be the guy I would want for those reasons. I mean, he can, just like you said, I mean, he can drive, he can shoot outside, he can shoot the the mid range and he can get to the rim and, and he can kick the ball around. You know, that's a, one, of the, one of the things that I think they, you know, and Izzo went back to the, the two point guard lineup, um, in the first half, you know, as he did actually in the first half against Illinois before they played a lot together in the second. But I, I do think that that needs to be um, maybe earlier and and more prominent in the rotation. That, that what, I, what I'm, you know, you talk about, you know, Izzo talked about making changes. And before we started doing this pod, we're talking about whether those will actually happen, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that you, you can make some changes without actually changing the starting lineup. And that's, the, the rotation, the, the minutes, what, you know, who's actually, I mean, 
who actually starts Michigan State plays their starters for such a brief time. Starting matters at MSU less than other places because they're making subs and, and when it, there's still a yep. 17 on the clock, right? That you know, I mean, I was just down, I was just down uh, doing a piece on Foster Lawyer at Davidson. You know, they play much more of an NBA style. They play, they, I mean, they have some subs, but they basically play their dudes until they're 12 minutes left. The backups come in for four, and then the dudes are back in, right? And 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 that's. It's much more of that sort of every half longer together substitution uh, situation. So for me, it's like, can you get, you know, do you go to that two guard lineup earlier? Do you change the minutes allocation for Gabe Brown and Max Christie in the last game? They're 44 minutes combined with a season low combined for them. The season low for Christie together is, really a season low without foul trouble for Gabe Brown. And, and so that, that, yeah, I think you can start to say, okay, you know, this is still the starting lineup. Cause I don't disagree with the starting lineup. They played Purdue at least this week, you're going against a, like a seven, three dude this week. And then they come in with, with Travion Williams. That might be the time to have Marcus Bingham starting. And then Julius Marble coming in when Williams come in, you know I mean? Like I, I can see. Yeah. Just, um, so I, I don't know. I hear, I, don't know I hear the, your rationale. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, to me, um, you know, uh, any changes that are, that can, that are going to be made from an offensive standpoint cannot upset the defensive side. Um, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, the defense has been solid for the most part throughout the whole season. The stretch has been a little bit up and down, but, you know, I, I think the important thing is the pairings that Izzo has on the defensive side works. When I say that, I mean, you know, Bingham makes up for some of uh, Hauser's deficiencies when he gets beat because you have an, uh, an eraser at the rim. And, and Hall and, and Marbles tend to work well together. So I think any move that you make with one of those guys, you have to make with two of them if you're going to do it. Does that make sense to you? You know, because you don't, you know, and I think the same thing goes uh, on the wing too. I mean, you, you know, Brown and Christie have that length that, you know, in the gap defense, they're able to get in there. They're able to, to stop some penetration with, with that. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to play the two point guards, they don't necessarily have that same kind of length. And then on top of that, and I wrote about this the other day, it's like, you know, if you are going to play those two point guards more, who's your point guard with your third or your second unit? Who's going to be able to withstand the minutes? So, I mean, there's a lot of, to me, it's not just simply, and this is what I asked Izzo about, uh, you know, Thursday night. Is it's not just simply plug and play one guy. Like I was, you know, like you did with at the point guard. It's one thing because you got one point guard, right? I mean, you have got either Walker or Hogar. It's just a flip. Um, but the other, I think the other two, the two and the three and the four and the five are really reliant upon each other and the knowledge and the communication that's already been built with how much those guys have played together. So I think if you're going to make the switch, you got to make it, you know, two for two rather than just one for one. So, and, and to me, like it, it, all the guys play enough that it's really going to come down to somebody stepping up and finding a different level and, and giving them something that, that they haven't done before. And then reacting to that by 
adjusting minutes and lineups. You know, I mean that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's if, if Tyson Walker becomes the hot hand again, yes, you're going to roll with him. If Malik Hall, uh, you know, gets it going, and 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 I and I do, you know, if I, you know, you know, Izzo has told me before not to coach his team, but if I were, <laughs> I think at this point I would, I would start Malik Hall, and if not for that, Joey Hauser's been. <clears throat> bad the last few games overall or anything i just think you're trying to find something new and there is a real argument that hall has often been your best player this year and what does having him at the beginning of the game do i'd want to find that out if anything or does it help and, him and I, better starts so so my thought with that then is if you're starting hall then you have to also start marble because you know, let's face it. I mean, you know, the idea of playing Marble and Hauser together is a defensive nightmare. You're not going to have, you know what I mean? The depending reason on, that, depending, that, on the, depending on the matchup, I don't know that it is. Yes, yes and yeah, no. I mean, I think. Listen, I, I think Hauser gets. I mean, you saw him get beat in that game back door a couple times, off the bounce a couple times. Having a guy like Bingham there kind of can erase those mistakes. Uh, where uh, and and kind of the same with with Hall and uh, Marble, in that Hall is a, a pretty good defender and flexible defender, um, and Marble is more of your traditional low block defender and has had some struggles at times as well. So I don't know. That's just my thought on that. You know, I, I think you you treat those in pairs. That's just that's just how I view it. I don't know how Tom Izzo views it, but um, you know, I guess we'll find out. Uh, Saturday against Purdue. Yeah. It feels like we we talk in circles every week about about this team. You know the same the same issues are the same the same issues now are the same issues uh, three or four weeks ago, especially you know on the defensive end in the post. And it, it just seems like at this point there's no rectifying it. It's just uh, matching a one defensive struggle for another, and then you just have to try to navigate that uh, the best you can, I guess, if you're Michigan State or Tom Izzo. It's it's a tremendous. I mean, it's exactly right, Phil. And it's just, you know, it kind of speaks to what Graham was saying is like about riding the hot hand. How long is the the, the hand going to be hot? I mean, because, you know, anytime Michigan State has had a guy as a hot hand, it's lasted maybe a game or two, and then it's dissipated. You what? know, I mean, it's that's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to figure out, I would imagine, for the coaching staff. Well, I think I yeah, I think they're they're a little flummoxed. I also think that at this point they just need to find a way to win a game. Like they've lost a lot of confidence here, and yeah. and you know th- this is a team that we have seen play well at times this year. And I think one of the reasons this is the more frustrating, one of the more frustrating teams for fans to watch, is not just because they're struggling right now and their schedule toughened and they're they're you know really at the end of the year here <clears throat> looking like a team that's barely going to be off the bubble, but I think it's also because for a while they were trending in a very different direction. And I understand the schedule stiffened, but this was a very good team against UConn for a half against Baylor and some really key moments where you saw them playing with an edge in November and December. You saw Tyson Walker look like he was turning a corner at Minnesota in December and then and then not for a while. You saw Max Christie then in, in, in late in December and early January have a stretch where he was really hitting shots. You just saw a team trending differently, and I still think it's a two-year group. I still have a lot of uh, confidence that this is going to be a very good team next year. When you look at the core of it, and and the the seasoning that's needed, and what they could become, led by guys like Max Christie and Malik Hall, 
and those point guards and, and a guy like Aikens. And, and I, I still think they're going to be a very good team. Uh, but if you're talking about this year, this, this season, I, I, I fully, I fully get it. And so at this point, they just need a win. A win does a few things for it. One, it stops the bleeding. Everybody will feel a whole lot better. Second, it probably puts them in the NCAA tournament. So that, that question, that sense that there's still work to be done is, 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 is perhaps over. And the, the, the challenge is, like anything, you, you look at it and you go, well, Purdue's probably the best team in the league. And that's a, that's a really tough matchup. Then you're at Michigan, which is playing better than Michigan State is now, and a lot better than they were the first time that game was supposed to be scheduled. And, and th- this is like every MSU fan's nightmare, right? They need one win to get to the NCAA tournament, and they might have had it had they played Michigan before already. And instead, you're yeah. you're, you're 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 playing them four games in eight days to end the season. It's 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 a nasty spot. And then you know, and people and say, well, they should. And that's the line. That's quite honestly the line in the sand of where things flipped is when that game got canceled. I mean, they were I yes. think on an eight game run at that point, and then they beat Minnesota after that. But then you know that was a that was a close game and the mojo and the rhythm that they had built kind of got interrupted at that point. So, but the other thing is, you know, people say they shouldn't have played that game. I still think they need a win. Like that's on the road. That's not a bad loss at Michigan. So like playing that game is another opportunity. Uh, So I I don't, and, and, and and Ohio state on the road is a bear. So I I actually think the Michigan game presents itself as a needed opportunity right now. Not just, not just Ohio state on the road is a bear, but Ohio state, for a first-time prep in t- a two-day turn, yeah, is a is unbelievable. There, I know. I think that's one of the biggest frustration points that Izzo has. I think right now, um, you know, he's talked extensively about the number of one game one game single preps that this team has had, and then you add in the extra Michigan game on top of it, that um, complicates the schedule for Michigan State. And uh, you know, that's you know, we might talk about the short term between Saturday to Tuesday to Thursday with, with these, these games, but there's also that they haven't played Purdue yet. Therefore, this is the one time they play Purdue this year. This will be the one time they play Ohio state this year and it'll be on a short rest. Um, and you know, the Iowa game was another one where they had, it's a single play. Um, you know, but here's the thing. That's, that's lot, I, mean, I don't. I'm not buying excuses with the Tuesday games. There've been a million of them. They're used to them. Single plays happen all the time in, 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 in sports. I think the the Ohio State one is the one. You're absolutely right, though. That's a little yeah. becomes a little unfair. Now in the NCAA tournament, you do a single play on two days prep and or one day prep, and they they know how to do those. But the focus to me is. If you're Michigan State, and I don't know what's going to happen Saturday with Purdue, we've seen this team rise up at home, and that wouldn't completely stun me. Although I, uh, just given the, the state of their confidence right now, it would surprise me. But you get you you want to get that Michigan game, and the one thing that that I think yeah um, gives them a little bit of a shot there, regardless of how things are going, is Michigan can can fall out of rhythm very fast as well. And the other thing is for Izzo, it's always 1991, right? When it comes to that rivalry, he's always in the thick of Michigan cheating. He's always in the thick of the way he was raised in it. And there is a, an effort and an edge that he will implore onto his team. And I think that was one of the things that was hard the last time is that team got up for that edge. They feed off Izzo and then they had to come down from it and then play that Minnesota game and they survived it, but they didn't, you know, they didn't play as well. Um, I, 
I, I think the Michigan game is a real opportunity. When you look at these three games, best opportunity for a win, I think, is in Ann Arbor. It would do two things. I mean, think about this. So to say they lose to Purdue by 12 points and Purdue's just a little bit better than MSU, and it is what it is. But say they go to Ann Arbor a couple days later and get a win in Ann Arbor. Think about how that changes how everybody feels. You, you've you now beat Michigan twice. So whatever this season is, you beat Michigan twice. People can live with that. You're probably locked in the NCAA tournament. Road win, decent team, quad one win. You know, yep. At that point, you're probably in. And so then you go to Ohio State, and I'm not saying it's house money, but you're not playing for a conference championship anyway at that point. You're just feeling a whole lot better about things. And you take a swing. And then you, you probably you, you should be able to beat Maryland the last game of the year, but you're no longer playing that game with all the pressure of feeling like you still need a win to get in the tournament. And so I, I think that game at Michigan, the opportunity that is, if you could find a way to get that done, it changes the way everybody feels. And everybody's, you know, this is everything. Oh, this has been a struggle. But two wins against Michigan, that, that feels pretty dang good. So I, I think, and just in terms of basketball opportunity, I think that's the best opportunity in these next three games. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you, you hate to say it, you know, but they're also at a point where the, it's a must win situation where it doesn't matter what the win is. I mean, that one's probably going to cement it. Um, you know, the, the win over Maryland at the back end would absolutely cement it on top of it. But would that Maryland win at home be enough to probably? I mean, I think yeah, it needs so. one more win. Um, you know, um, cause it's not, it's not like, you know, the metrics now are, are no longer the final 10. Um, it's a body of work, which I think is good. Cause I mean that their, their early season body of work should be taken into account and should help them. Um, but I also think selection committees, even though it's not part of the criteria anymore, you know, they're looking at how teams are trending. Right. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's a big thing. I mean, getting that quad one road win uh, at Michigan is probably a season-defining moment, right? So, I mean, it's going to test your yeah. Well, yeah, but it's going to test your toughness. It's going to test your your mental and physical ability, and more importantly, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to go down to Ohio State and try and rally and summon up what you got to do on short recovery time and, and short prep time coming off a loss. I mean, that's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a lot, you know, we talked about, I, I mentioned that before the, this game early in the season when it was postponed is a line in the sand and they need to make that game a line in the sand moving forward. The, I'm just looking at the ACC here, you know, and how weak that league is. Like when people worry about the bubble, it's easy to we sort of we sort of live in the Big Ten bubble, right? We say, well, yep. this is what usually gets you in this amount of wins in league. This this, and and what we forget is sixty. If you're going to miss the tournament, sixty eight other teams have to make it. When you look around, uh, you know, and say, well, sixty eight other teams. Look at how weak the ACC is this year. Like it's just they're not. It, it, the bubble is is a little softer in certain ways. If the last ten don't count, Michigan State. Uh, with with you know ten Big Ten wins, um, and you know the win at Wisconsin is going to keep you know paying dividends. Michigan State should be okay. Now it may get a little, little dicey, like if all they beat is Maryland, say 
Um, and you, you may still feel a little bit better if you if you win a game Thursday at the Big Ten tournament. Um, but the, the Big Ten is strong enough. Like until and I have to look what they are now in the net. But until Northwestern dropped out of the top seventy-five the other day, which is something you want Northwestern to keep winning because they didn't have a single quad three or four quad defeat. And um, that Northwestern, let's see if it's there here. Um, yeah, Northwestern's still out of it. So now that 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 uh, home loss to Northwestern is is you know out of the top seventy five is is as one bad loss. Um, but you know they've got three quad one wins. They're six and two against quad two. They're thirty six overall in the net. And the thing is, when they're playing these teams, you can say, well, they're losing these games. You lose to Purdue, you lose at Michigan, at Ohio State is is bad. So those are really quality. Those are not. I mean, those are quality losses in a lot of ways. I mean, Ohio State's seventeen in the net. Um, Purdue is eleven. Uh, you know, I don't know where Michigan is, but it, it's Michigan is thirty three. I mean, and on the road, you know, you, you want to stay in the top forty five there to really make sure you're you're getting in. But I don't think those games themselves are going to fall them out of there. Losing to Maryland at home home would do that and you, you know you could you could absolutely go into that game with a lot of pressure if you don't get something done yeah it's interesting a couple of weeks ago you know michigan state was lined up as a four or five seed i think the before uh tuesday night i think they were a seventh they were, you know most of the bracketology experts had them like maybe a seven seed so where, where do you what seed line do you think this team is going to end up on if you had to guess if you, if you had to guess today I mean, are they going to lose the next three games? Is this slide going to continue, or are they going to eke out one or two of these games? I think they're going to win somewhere, and I don't know where it is. And that's the thing that with this team, I don't think yeah. you can predict this team. And um, now it could, could be, um, you know, you know, there's a sometimes seasons and, and losing streaks are sort of like toddlers and tantrums, like or being a child. You know, when that when you're a kid and something goes wrong, and you're just in tears, and you're all all upset about it. And you're at a certain point, you're all cried out and it's just better. At a certain point, you kind of hit bottom. And now that doesn't happen for everybody. Some teams quit and it, it gets horribly worse, but I don't think this MSU team that'll happen for. And, and so at some point they'll play a game now that, 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 that they're capable of winning. The question is, will they make winning plays at the end? I don't think the road is as big a, a problem. Like, for much of the season, I know they've had a couple feel-good home wins of late when they beat Indiana, beat Michigan. But for most of the season, they were as good on the road as at home. You go to the Wisconsin game, certainly, and they played with more of an edge. They played more of a purpose and a focus. I, I don't think that, that the road itself to this particular team – like, I'll be honest, the, the, the game you don't want – and because the Breslin fans can be as, as detrimental as, as helpful, and it's not. It's natural human reaction. But if they're playing Maryland – and they haven't won until they get there, and things start to go wrong. That building will get tense. There will be a few groans, and that'll be worse than being on the road. Tension in the building with groans is not a home court advantage. It's a home court disadvantage. Now, let me ask you something. If it does come down to that, and they need to win that game to kind of punch the ticket more or less, would you give out program win hats for it? <laughs> I don't know and that I last would. Get, last Last game of the regular season at home against Maryland. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't know if they should give more because penalties. because I think that's that to me leads into a question that we're hearing a lot from people, um, and a lot you know fans. Remember that that Maryland game 
in in 2019 was Mark D'Antonio's last home game. Yeah, as Michigan State's head coach. You hear? I've been hearing this this drum beat here. You know, kind of picking up steam that Tom Izzo is approaching that point with Mark D'Antonio. So when I say about that program win half, that was that game. So explain to me, I mean, I hear this too, but explain to me what you mean, what you're hearing. Do you, do you think Tom Izzo right now, um, you know, here, as we sit here at the end of the 21, 22 season is on the same path that Mark D'Antonio was in the 2019 football season to where he's, you know, what, what have people said? They, they said that, you know, he's, he's lost his edge. He's no, he's, no, um, no, because he, yeah, here's, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know what I mean? But, but you know what people have, have said quite a bit. They've tried to liken the two, you know, the so end here, of the D'Antonio era to this being foreshadowing of the end of the Izzo era. So here's my problem. You don't even have to be over 35 to, to, there are certain things where if you're under 35, you really shouldn't, comment because you weren't you, you didn't experience the NIT right at MSU right. Like you don't have a sense of what the program can can be now Izzo may have elevated the program and its expectations and its ability to get a good coach after him to the point that things will be fine but beyond all of that let's just live in the now so last year they were a bubble team and a COVID weird year where there aren't fans where the guys that they really needed to develop didn't have that summer to develop so it happened to a lot of teams. Younger teams really struggled. Whatever. It's the COVID year. You kind of throw it out. So the last year that wasn't a COVID year, they probably would have made the Final Four. They were they had that kind of team with Cassius and um, Xavier, the way they were playing at the end. I, I mean, to be fair, that was a COVID year. <laughs> they well, didn't get a year to do that. Okay, so the last year before that, they were in the Final Four. The last non-COVID year, they were right. in the Final Four. Year before that, they won 30 games. Uh, year before that, they were young. Year before that, they were a number two seed. Year before that, they were... Uh, in the Final Four is a bubble team. Year before that, they had maybe the best team in the country. In other words, I just don't see any evidence. Like we're living in way too short these t- time spans. What I think is still a really well constructed two year group. That when you look at the core of it, I, I, I mean, and, and how sweat equity has to happen. Like, it, I mean, there are some programs that do it year after year, and Michigan State has almost done it at the worst every other year. Now this would be two years. Um, that they have been sort of a uh, a bubble team, but you know, Izzo had those in the early two thousands too. It, it just there's so much evidence, and then the recruiting has been. You know, you, you just got Max Christie, who I think is going to be a, a, a top tier Big Ten player. Maybe he'll he'll take the jump that Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis did as sophomores, because that's what he's what they were basically as freshmen, right? And you, you just got a guy like that from the Chicago area that Duke wanted. I think that was the, for whatever for a long reason that was for a long time that was the thing you couldn't get. And then, you know, you look at uh, they got a four-star point guard coming in next year from Minneapolis. They got a kid as a borderline five-star from the Chicagoland area, and Jeremy Fears Jr. the year after that. Like the recruiting has not fallen off, and right. that I mean, exactly the, 18, right. the eighteen class, no doubt, was a class that didn't pan out. That and that that you can say mistakes in certain guys in recruiting, a lack of development, certain places. There can be absolutely criticism there. It hasn't worked. The Rocket Watt situation didn't work, but that was a top 30 kid. And that happens sometimes. It's just, it, I, I, I think people don't step out and look at what happens in other programs and and how difficult it is to to maintain. And, and just the overall state of things. This, again, if you look at this as a two-year group 
And, and all I ask is if you're saying, if you have these questions about, is this a losing it? Is this program falling off? Next year, when they're in the top couple in the Big Ten, next year when they're looking at a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, don't, don't pray. Like, what do you say to you? I mean, like, I, I'm just, I, I really look at this group, and I'm not trying to, like, overly stick up for Izzo. There are things about the way, you know, there are things that, that I would be frustrated with as a fan. I, I don't think their offense does enough to help players who are struggling, right? Um, and, and sometimes their defense first philosophy, especially when they don't have the pieces to be the defense and rebounding team, I think gets in the way of, of what they would need to adapt to be, but he's never going to change that philosophy. I just, I, I think this is too small a snapshot. I, I think they've actually got a roster that's decently constructed. It's just not the, 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 the seniors aren't good enough and the young players aren't seasoned enough and the seasoning will come. And uh, like it's just not going to happen this year. You got to look at it as a two-year group. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. It, it seems really short-sighted to look at this and go, you know, Izzo's losing it. And to compare it at all with the D'Antonio stretch, was, which was like four years of that stuff at the end, and was a much smaller window of winning to begin with. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you've taken a lot of the salient points that I was going to discuss, but I, I will say this. You know, people have said that Izzo doesn't adapt. I mean, if you don't remember all the uh, on-the-fly adjustments he made in 2019 between losing Joshua Langford, losing Nick Ward, getting Nick Ward back, kind of reinventing the way that team was playing to get them to a Final Four, I don't think you understand that, that these things can be done. You know, I, I don't disagree with you about, you know, sometimes the, the reluctance to do it, but... Um, that said, just to say he's not flexible and he's not, uh, you know, modern with, with the game is kind of a fallacy as well. I mean, listen, the Big Ten, when you've got 27 years of a book on a team, uh, you know, it, there's there's a lot more empirical data for Tom Izzo's team than some of the others. Um, you know that, you know, he he does change, but the cardinal tenets and the ethos are remain, right? I mean, the hard work and, you know, the things that were, you know, the things that are in flux right now, um, which I think is, you know, while that's alarming, I think the fans, you know, I think the fact that Izzo is frustrated by it, you know, it, it makes sense. And, you know, we talk about the, the recruiting, listen, that we can talk about the 2018 class, all we want, produce a guy who's, you know, went pro early in Aaron Henry. Um, you had some other misses there, but you also have to remember what was being, what that class was being recruited to. And that class was being recruited with Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson, Josh Lakeford, and Cassius Winston all on campus. So how many top end guys were you going to get at that point when you thought, well, these guys are going to be here for three, four years or a couple of them. I well, mean, it's can yeah, I, can I reality. I mean, yeah, let me bring up a point on the 18 class too. Is so one of the things that's always interesting in MSU recruiting is the state of Michigan, and it's yeah. Izzo's top priority. And and usually when there have been struggles in the past, it, it is directly correlated with Michigan not being very good as a high school talent state. And right now it's not, and and that's why they get a Minneapolis point guard and Jackson Kohler from out west. And and you you see, I mean, there's this for this class is not really good. But when you go to 18. What you ran into that year with Foster Lawyer, with Gabe Brown, 
with Thomas Kithier. Aaron Henry uh, was out of state, and, uh, and, and but Marcus Bingham was in state. With four of those kids, were in-state kids who were like top 100-ish kids who, you know, are you not going to take top 100 kids who are in-state when you're trying to win? You know, like those are the sort of kids that when that's what the state is producing, do you not go get and, – and I think, you know, the, the foster lawyer one is – See, but that, that's, that's neither here nor there too because Trevion Williams is in that same group. No doubt, but he was he a lower group. I mean, I, that doesn't matter. Right, right. I mean, no, they missed on him. They missed you know, on him. Xavier, Xavier, Xavier Tillman was a lower recruit. Absolutely. And Williams, and, I mean, not, yes, you're, no, you're totally right on Travion. They, 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 they kicked the tires a little bit, but totally came in late on that. And, and, um, no, and they, they, there's no doubt they, they, they made, they made some, uh, they made, they made some, some mistakes. Mistakes, mistakes were made, so they would say. Well, and I would say the foster lawyer thing, look, the, you know, I just did a piece on lawyer. I mean, he's in a great place. He's, um, you know, all that going well there. It did not work at MSU, and it wasn't, I don't think, going to work at MSU. And and if you go back and look at like the fit, like that was like they should have another point guard right now who's a veteran, who's leading this, who's a senior, right? And they they took lawyer, and and so and and it it it, it didn't happen, and that, you pay for that down the road, and they're paying for it now. Yeah. They're missing, and that's the thing is like I said that about going to the the one two lineup with Hogarth and, and Walker is they're missing that third guy to handle the ball because you're going to need if you want to play those two guys more often and, and run Walker off ball, you need a, a third point guard who can come in with the second unit to, to keep those two guys paired together a little more often, um, which they don't have. So that's why you kind of see them splitting the minutes at the point guard and you know it will be interesting to see how much he tries to go to that down the line um you know i don't know i really don't so oh you know who else we forgot about um that, that they uh what was uh uh tillman's teammate who went to uh in the i think in the 19 class who went to uh ohio state Oh yeah, I'm blanking uh, on uh, 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 not Washington. My, my yeah, Washington. Dwayne, Dwayne was Dwayne Washington. No, it's Dwayne not. Washington. I mean, yeah. you know, there were there were plenty of recruiting misses here, in state. Totally. So, but that but that happens. That so wasn't I mean, them. That was them not recruiting kids as much as it was. You know, and that's that's on them. They absolutely you miss. You make some mistakes. It wasn't. I don't think. Um. You know, because when you look at or let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to that class for a second, and just look at the what you what what they saw in, in the recruits they chose. When you looked at Gabe Brown, I remember. I mean, I thought Gabe Brown earlier was really going to emerge there. This guy's a wiry six seven shooter. I thought that kid is, and, and you know, for all the Morris Peterson comparisons, he's made those comparisons because I think what he saw in him initially was a kid who could develop into that. Um, you know, when you look at Foster Lawyer, and, and that might not have been the fit, but you're talking about, you know, one of the more prolific high school shooters you'll ever see. And, you know, the, the question was, do you want that guy in your program? Can he physically do enough? But there was there was reason to, to want, and there was a lot of intrigue. I mean, I remember even among fans, the conversation, and even among some media types, the conversation going into that year was, well, could Lawyer and Winston play together? Because Winston was going to be a junior, and what 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 do you do with Winston now? The lawyers there also, you know, like that. That was where that was, and and then yeah, 
Marcus Bingham was a guy you saw the skill. I mean, he wasn't a prolific shooter, but you saw the the ability to. He had some guard skills because he grew late. Aaron Henry obviously wound up being a really good player and you know, was a good recruit. And Kithier, who was out of the throw-in of that class, was better out of the shoot than they expected. He was much more poised as a backup to Tillman when when Nick Ward got hurt and all that stuff down the. I mean, so like there were there were reasons early on to believe that it was it was it was a good class that would develop, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, and you know I do think this team does miss Kithier a little bit, um, in in particular because I think they need that, that one other guy that you know is just going to anchor down on the block. I think he set good screens that people, you know, maybe didn't take into account. Uh, you know, that's little things. He he was a little things kind of gritty garbage kind of guy that um, that this this team kind of lacks that. That's why. You know, the Penn State game, uh, a big reason I wrote about John Harar after that was because that was a guy that they went after and really a kind of a missing piece for what this team had. It is lacking in terms of a big man who plays a traditional Izzo big man game. And Marble kind of has that, but that's about it. I mean, it's not like you have a lot of options beyond that that play that traditional four or five, you know, pound on the low block Antonio Smith uh Andre Hudson style. I mean, there's it's marble and that's about it. And I think that's, that's why you're seeing the inability to get to the free throw line. That's why you're seeing struggles with defensive rebounding and giving up so many offensive rebounds that have really cost them uh, here in the past few months. And there's not like you're going to have someone that's able to, to just kind of step in and do that right now. I mean, it's not like there's a freshman that that's there or someone that hasn't been playing much other than Madi Sissoko, who still looks like a project at this point, talking about another out-of-state recruiting miss. Um, I'm not, I, I don't want to say that about him because I, th- I think the book is still out on him. I think he's, you know, he's in that same boat that Bingham and, and Brown are in, and that you see the raw tools, they need to be molded. And, you know, so, he hasn't, I don't, think, I don't think he's progressed as quickly as they wanted or needed him to. So what, what this team really needs, too, is, and hasn't happened, is, you know, late in the year, somebody becomes something they weren't who's young, right? What they really need is one of these four-minute, three-minute stretches that Pierre Brooks goes in. <clears throat> Pierre Brooks is a great, great shooter. He's a great shooter in high school. I think he'll be a good shooter at MSU. Pierre Brooks hits a couple threes, and that becomes a thing. And Brooks all of a sudden has some confidence, and now he's hitting a three or two a game when he comes, you know, Nothing like that has materialized. Jaden Akins, I don't know if that's going to happen for this year, but we're like something with his offensive game provides a spark. <clears throat> Somebody becomes something they weren't earlier in the year that provides a little bit something else for them, and they haven't had that either, which I think is is tough. If anything, they've they've regressed partly because of the volume and the percentages of of of, of uh, Gabe Brown and Max Christie. I, w- I would like to revisit my original prompt here. At- what, what would you guess Michigan State's seed line is going to be for the NCAA tournament at this point? Is that, is that, what, is that what you asked? Yes. And we devolved, we devolved into 20 minutes of uh, recruiting talk, and then we revisited the Izzo uh, D'Antonio question, from which we actually answered last week, if you'll recall, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, the drumbeat keeps getting louder with it, yeah. with every loss. Yeah, yeah. Add two, um, two losses since, since that conversation, but yes. So I think I think what Graham and I both have come to a consensus uh, on this is that we don't know. That's what I'm telling you. No, I mean it's it's hard to project. Really, 
quite honestly, I mean, it's just like everything else in this team. I mean, you could sit there and project it out. I mean, they could, I, I could, I could make a case for them to be anywhere from, you know, like a six seed all the way to a 10 seed. And plus with this much season left ahead and chances to kind of shake some of that with, with, you know, whether it be Purdue or, you know, I think the Michigan win would a win over Michigan would carry some weight in terms of seeding because it's on the road. You know, the Ohio State on the road also. I mean, who knows what would happen with the Big Ten tournament? Although at the same point, we realize that you know by the by by Saturday of the Big Ten tournament, it's, it's a moot point. But you get to Saturday, now you've all of a sudden played yourself back up a little bit. But I think right now. I'd probably put them somewhere, and, and then this would be probably the worst thing possible for them is like an eight or a nine seed. Well, yeah, I mean, if, in terms of a run, yeah, you're right, right? That's the thing. Yeah. You get to a point where if you're trying to play – first of all, you, you just got to play well enough to feel like you can do something, and right now they're not. But you're right, and there are enough opportunities where if they somehow won – you know, if they somehow beat two of these – one of these two of these next three games, if just the quality of those wins, you're back in the conversation on the, the other side of the 8-9, of, of, of 7-6, you know, wait, can they get to that realm? And so the opportunities are so great to kind of have a feel for it. If they were to lose out and only beat Maryland, I think you're looking at, a, a, a you know, 10 seed. And and that's okay, too, because, again, the, it, the way the NCAA tournament is constructed, if you have dreams, the 8-9 is not a great spot to be. It's just not. And... uh you also have to be at a point where you're playing well enough to, to, to have those, to have those hopes. And right now, um, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to picture. Like, you know, you go to that two, the, the best comparison, right. Is the 2014, 15 that we've had regularly. And, and that season was different than this, but there were elements that were similar. If you're looking for optimism for a run late and what happened there was very much, uh, you know, it was Trice getting on a roll and Valentine played well and Dawson and they don't have a Dawson. But when you when you look at, um, you know, if Walker or somebody gets gets rolling or and, and, and you want to look at a, that team came from what, a, a, a seven or a ten? I can't remember. They won their first game. They might have seven. Um, they were, no, they seven. were seven. They, were. they weren't even that down. But they avoid the eight nine. They're able to play a Virginia yeah. team that's beatable in that second round. Like part of making the unexpected run is not having to play a roadblock in that second round. And so the eight, nine is the worst place you can be. And again, predicting what the NCAA tournament committee, where they'll put them um, is hard. It's not like you can purposely lose yourself well into a 10, you know, it's, 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 you have no idea where they're going to be placed. And those seeds get moved at the very end too, based on what, what, once you're down there, you are not a priority, you know, and, um, yeah. So those things keep moving. Well, that remember that that 2015 team had two guys that you know went on to the NBA and you know were just coming into themselves in Valentine and Forbes, um, and Trice obviously has been uh, you know pro overseas, but he had that great oh, senior yeah. stretch run. I mean, think about this. I mean, him and Dawson were seniors on that team, right? And they both elevated their play. Dawson was the ultimate garbage guy and did so many little things that, you know, that kind of guy that they don't necessarily have right now. But I think one thing that that team, and they had Costello, um, you know, a lot of different pieces, but I think the one thing that can make that link. And I do think one, I think Walker could have that kind of run. It's someone, someone, uh, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or where they said, what if he has a Kemba Walker type run in him? And, 
you know, we've seen glimpses of that here the last couple games. I don't think I'd be willing to say that he could do that, but you know, I mean, he's, he's elevated his game at, at times uh, to where you could, you, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if something like that did happen. But the thing about that 15 team kind of going back to it is that team was an abject disaster at the free throw line throughout much of the regular season in the big 10 play. And there, there was a point where everyone just kind of was starting to assume that this is just going to be a bad free throw shooting team uh, throughout the rest of the season. And you got to play around it. That team flipped that switch and all of a sudden started hitting its free throws down the stretch in the big 10 tournament and, and the NCAA tournament. That's how they got there. They fixed their problem, right? They fixed one of their biggest problems. That's got to be what this team does. This team has to fix their biggest problems. And, you know, the the defensive rebound and the ability to get out and run. Um, and, you know, even right now, the turnover problem isn't as big of an issue at this point. The point guards have played well. Yeah. Point guards are not the problem I mean, in Iowa, other than other – than, it's. The, it's the timing of some of the, the right. mistakes and turnovers that have really been costly. Like that Bingham one, you know, like the, you know, the, the Hogard turnover against Illinois that, that basically stunted that comeback, um, you know, but that's, you know, the numbers have gone down. Uh, the frequency has gone down. And, you know, so that's a sign that there has been improvement in that area. Now you got to improve the other areas that have been lagging. I, I'm, you know, this is this is maybe one of the things that it has done over the course of his tenure best is fixing the problems late. It's just this is maybe later than he's seen in, in quite some time to fix some of the problems. I'm kind of with you, Chris, in terms of I think there'll be an eight or nine seed when, when this all shakes out and Selection Sunday happens. Okay, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here for the week, guys? You want our predictions or not? Oh, sure. Go ahead and predictions for Purdue and uh, Michigan on Tuesday. I guess while while we're out of here. Oh, I'm I'm just going one game at a time with this team. My All goodness, right. Purdue fine. Purdue on Saturday. <laughs> remember, remember last time we did the podcast. Last time we did the podcast, we uh, you know, we, we were projecting things out, and that was before the the situation with Jawan Howard. So there's things that happen around the league that are going to affect that game too, not just the Michigan State side of it. Actually, I want your guys' prediction for the Maryland game in a uh, week and uh, eight days. <laughs> Just joking. All right, let's go Purdue Saturday. Graham. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you – look, I, I think – and, again, this will change based on what I see against Purdue. I think Purdue's going to beat them. I think I think it won't be ugly, but the, the disparity between the teams will be there. And I, I'll give – and Purdue has a huge game Tuesday. So I don't, Michigan State, for them on the road, is never a trap game. But they're at Wisconsin on Tuesday night. Um but I'll 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 say uh, Purdue by you know Purdue, you know eighty to seventy sort of score, and then, but I do think Michigan State, if that is what happens Saturday, goes into Michigan and plays a game that's decided in the final minutes. Yeah, I I I really don't like the matchup against Purdue. I think Tom Izzo has talked about this all season that Purdue has two of everything. They're Noah's Ark. Um, and Michigan State doesn't. And I think that's that to me. I think that the depth and the diversity of, of what Purdue has is just too much for Michigan State right now, even though it's at home. The trip to Ann Arbor, there's 
probably no game that Tom Izzo is looking forward to more on the schedule. Um, and there's probably no game that he wants to win more uh, for how things went down before. And that's never a, a good situation. Although I will say this, I think Michigan with Phil Martelli might be a little better um, and more equipped from a coaching standpoint to, to handle Michigan state in this one. But I, I think it's going to be a down to the wire game that I really can't fl- pick right now. I think it's going to be a coin flip game that Michigan state's going to need. Um, but the question is, do they have the result to pull it out? Uh, interesting Martelli take. I was thinking about that yesterday. It's like, I mean, the, the fact that they have a like a very veteran head coach there to, to take over for Jawan while he's suspended. Uh, I don't know if that's a bad. That's a that's a that's a pretty nice backup plan to have if you're Michigan. It is. It absolutely is. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.